Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, A Coach for the Coach. I'm your coach, Helen Williams, and we are building a community of sports coaches who want to proactively take their coaching career to the next level, as well as build the next generation of student-athlete leaders. Last week, we aired part one with Jennifer Williams, former athletic director at Alabama State University, as we discussed how to make critical decisions about athletics during a pandemic. This week, we will continue with part two of that discussion. So how do you decide what success is for an individual team? What, aside from winning, what, what metrics do you use? Um, I mean, I look at graduation. I mean, obviously at our level, you know, graduating and APR, your GSR, that's all very, very important. Um, so it's not just about the wins and losses. I look at the academic piece. I weigh that pretty heavily as well. Um, you know, you can't, you can't be losing and have kids fail and we got to pick a struggle here. So, (laughs) so, you know, we're going to have to take some L's. We better, we need to have valedictorians and, you know, Dean's list folks coming in, but no, um, in all seriousness, I look at, um, success from, um, you know, it's not all, it's not just about X and O's while we like the championships and we've been blessed to win. How are you developing the person, the student athlete? You know, um, our student athletes, they don't get in trouble. You know, there aren't, you know, they're, they're pillars of the community. They're out there. They're actively engaged. A lot of community service. They're smart. Um, they're going on and getting internships and then moving on and being successful. So I look at all of that. Um, when it's time to make a move, I assess every piece. And that's not just in revenue sports. That's in all of the sports. Um, you know, if you look at a, t- a program and it's a lot of people just leaving a program, that's a red flag for me. You know, whether you're winning or not, I tell people all the time, you know, I've had to let go somebody who was winning, who had won a conference championship or two. But when you looked at what was happening with some of the comments from the student athletes on exit interviews and the transferring, it wasn't good. You know, so um, just because you win don't mean that you to me are safe. It it Mm -hmm. can help, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee safety. It has to be a total experience, and that's something I measure on. Well, we have a lot of young coaches that watch this show. What what would you tell them in terms of the types of skills that they need to acquire or enhance in terms of getting ready to be a head coach? Because it's a lot different when you move that one inch over. I know when I was an assistant, I would always go, well, when I get to be a head coach, I'm going to do this. And I don't know why she's doing that. <laughs> why didn't he just do that? You know, and then you sit in that seat, much like yeah. when you sit in the athletic director's seat and you go, oh, OK, now I have the full context. Man, I didn't think about that. So mm-hmm. how would you suggest they get prepared for that that leap? That's a really good question. Um to me, the biggest thing when you make the transition from being an assistant of anything to pretty much leading your shop is that you become a manager of people. And I think that's what sometimes um, I think coaches can lose sight is that you're not just focused like, yeah, it, on the court may be your thing. That's what you like doing. That's where you feel comfortable. You know, that's where you're at your best. But as a head coach, you have to be a manager of people. You have to manage your personnel you're the CEO of your shop. I know my coaches get tired of me saying that to them, but you're the CEO of your program and you have to set your assistance up to be successful. You have to just look at it in totality, not just X's and O's. 
So you have to look at your program in its totality. It's about being that visionary again, not just focusing in on one piece, but in terms of preparing, um, I would say learning about the fundraising piece, talking to donors, talking to um, people in the community. You see some coaches who don't feel comfortable doing that, um, but that's a big piece of being a head coach, especially in the, when you're in the basketball world. You know, you're going to get out in revenue sports, period. You're going to have to talk to donors. You're going to have to go on these coaches' caravans. You're going to be asked to speak to different engagements, regardless of the level you're on. You know, whether you're at the Power Five or you're at D3, you're going to, people are going to want to talk to you. So being comfortable um, in front of crowds, uh, you know, talking to people and giving speeches, that's going to be key. Um, Fundraising, I do task my coaches with fundraising. Um, you know, I talk to them a lot about, hey, you know, I don't give them specific numbers you have to hit, but they know that if it's something outside of the scope of your budget, you're going to have to go fundraise to get that. And um, a lot of them have gotten so much better just in my four years being here, feeling comfortable doing that. And we give them the plan. You know, my background is fundraising. We, we're not going to say that. That's what fail. I was going to ask you. How, how do you how do you do that? Because there are a lot of uh, you know, ADs that just go, Hey, you need to raise some money. And then it's kind of like, you know, recruiting, like, okay, well, I don't know how to recruit. I just go ask a player to come to my school. Like I remember my first recruiting situation. I went and talked to the kid. I had no idea Uh what I was doing and my head coach didn't really teach me anything. So I'm sure that's similar with the fundraising. We know what the end result is, but if you don't do it right, then, um, you know, that could create some problems. So how do you help them with that? Because that's obviously your forte. Yeah. And I I mean, like I said, a lot of ADs may not have that background, but, you know, I talked to them about, hey, what are your top three goals that you're trying to achieve in terms of fundraising or, um, or items that you need for your program for the year? So we start from there and then we talk about, so what are some tangible projects that you can do? And then just working through the process, you know, whether it's them, if they want to do it through an appeal letter, I will help them with the appeal letter. How do you write that letter? Just like you guys are writing to a recruit. The appeal letter is the same thing to your donor base. And then I always tell them, start with parents. You already know your parents. That's an easy demographic. That's that's an easy demographic. And I just have seen, you know, I'm I'm repping our baseball program today. My head baseball coach has done a phenomenal job of soliciting his parents to help him with giving. And so um, start there. That's your, from that, you know them, you recruited their kids. You should have somewhat of a relationship built with them. Now it's just talking to them. Um, so that would be my recommendation. Start with what you're, who you're familiar with, which are your parents and talk to them about the needs of the program outside of, you know, the scholarships for your kids. What are some of the needs? So, okay, for us, we wanted to enhance our batting cages and we wanted to get some more technology in baseball. You know, we've been blessed, you know, applying for grants. There are grants out there. If you don't feel comfortable writing them. Yep. If you don't feel comfortable writing the grants, talk to someone in your athletic development unit. Um, You know, while you're if your AD can't assist you or you're someone on executive staff, maybe go to your development office. That's what they're there for, because, you know, they're going to get credit for the people you guys bring in that give Mm -hmm. gifts. And it should always be a give designation to your program. You know, you should always be able to give to Wake Forest women's basketball. 
and not, you should have options. You can give to your general fund, you can give to scholarships, but there should always be a designation for your particular sport. So talk to your development office. If you guys don't have an athletic development office, then go to the, to the university development team. Someone should be fundraising for your department, whether they're housed in athletics or not. But that's my recommendation. I think starting with who you're familiar with, look at to me, uh, fundraising to me is very similar to recruiting. I said I never wanted to be a coach, but if I did, I would go in as a recruiting coordinator because it's to me, the transferable skills are there. Absolutely. Um, you, know, you do your research on a player, just like I research a prospect and you the appeal letters, just like your recruiting letters that you guys write. I don't know if they still do letters now, but however you can. I, I don't yourself. know if they actually write on paper <laughs> anymore. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I don't know. That's old school. That's what I was getting recruited. But, you know, you engage them. However you engage them, you work to engage them. And then you ultimately hit them with the ask about what you want. And all people can yeah. say is no. Right. Right. Yeah. And we've been told no before. So, yeah, yeah. It won't yeah. be the first or the last. <laughs> One other area that I think is important for coaches to be able to be proficient at is um, budgets, you know, and especially as an assistant, you may not be privy to an entire budget, but certainly. That's one of the things I always tell my client. This is something that we need to make sure that you have on your resume. And they go, well, I've never handled a budget. And I go, well, I thought you just told me you did the church budget. So so money's money. You know what I mean? But I think that's a that's a piece that coaches don't think enough about. And that's huge, irrespective of whether we're in a covid environment or not. That's a skill that they need to have. Yes. Um, budget management, whether on a small scale or a macro scale, is super important. Um, you know, I know that you all see your recruiting budget. So and your travel budgets. Um, and that's right there, working to stay within those numbers, that's key. And that's really how it starts. So, um, you know, while when I was just doing fundraising, we had an operating budget, maybe of like two hundred, $300,000. But, you know, the money that we were bringing in, you know, these millions of dollars, that's part of managing a budget, it all goes hand in hand. And that's why I'm saying if you are, ask your head coach, if they don't share that information with you as an assistant, ask them, hey, can we see a, um, a copy of our budget for the fiscal year? We just sent all of our coaches their budget. So it's no, it's no confusion. You know what you have, <laughs> what you have. And so if you need to go above and beyond that, then you need to fundraise for it. But that's to me starting that process of thinking, hey, I wanna be a head coach one day, so hey, ask for to see the budget for the fiscal year um, so that you can start keeping numbers. While that may not be your primary function, you can still start keeping an idea of what you guys are working with on a year. And then, you know, what your area, let's say you're the recruiting coordinator. So, you know, you have $75,000 for recruiting, managing that as efficiently as you can. And if anything goes over that, then showing that, hey, I was able to fundraise to help get some of these costs for printing or whatever, I don't know, little items you want to send out. Did they do that? I don't know what they do, what you got, what people <laughs> do now, but whatever um, right. goes over that item, that line item, you're able to show you effectively fundraise to get that money. So you're still staying within that budget. And I think one other area that I think is important for coaches is uh, we, we talk about your, your, your network and your circle. And, and one of the first questions I ask my clients is who's in your network? And they, mm -hmm. 
inevitably mentioning a lot of coaches. And I go, but co- head coaches don't hire head coaches. Yeah. So you need to get administrators in your network because I know you every every hiring manager has a list in that right hand drawer of six to ten people, <laughs> you know, for each position. And your job is to get on that list. How would you suggest a coach begin to build and cultivate an administrative network? That's a that's a good question. Um right now it's hard to do it obviously face to face. Um, but through social media, um, I know I have a lot of coaches who reach out to me or who, um, excuse me, who friend me on social media. Um, I think LinkedIn is a good tool. Um, I said that during the pandemic, I really kind of focused more on, um, and been more intentional about being active on LinkedIn. And there have been some really good opportunities that have come out, um, just by me posting more on LinkedIn. Um, I think coaches can do the same thing by connecting with ADs, you know, on LinkedIn, but, you know, keep it genuine, keep it short. Cause as an AD, I don't like reading a, like emails that look like dissertations. I'm not reading them. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't I have don't, time. I don't have time that. So keep it short to the point. Um, but it's, you know, I would say at the final four was also a good time. I did meet, I try to go to the final four, um, the men and the women. And, um, I went to Tampa. That was obviously the last final four that I was at. And I was able to connect with a, a lot of coaches there. And it was just organic. It wasn't, no, you know, I mean, it was just really, hey, how you doing? A lot of the people I played against. So, you know, I'm, I know the women's basketball side of it. But, you know, when you go to the men's final four, you know, there are sessions there where administrators are there. So I think I, the last I was at San Antonio men's final four and I spoke on a panel. And, um, you know, I was able to meet a lot of coaches, but know who is going to be presenting when you go to the sessions, be intentional, you know, look up information about the presenters and be able to have a conversation that makes sense. Because we're busy, just like you all are busy. But, you know, if you can connect and it's organic, I think that leads that, it, that that's very impressionable. And I know that when I left that final four, I got a lot of notes from coaches just, you know, just thanking for taking the time. And it wasn't long conversations, five minutes. And it may have been outside of sessions. It could have been, I don't know, at little happy hour. They think they do the Adidas party, whatever right. it was, you know, it doesn't have to be a formal setting, but just taking that time to introduce yourself and kind of just, you know, a one line or what's your elevator speech, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that they, they don't practice. So no. Um, I, I want to pivot a little bit and get back to, um, to to the postponement of sports. So one of the things that I was thinking about that would be an issue for you athletic directors is, OK, it's great that we're still going to play and we're going to play in the spring. But how are you going to handle just the insane number of everybody playing at the same time and everybody needs a trainer and game operations and you know, everything going on at the same time. You, you said you had a plan and you don't have to be specific here, but like what, how do you handle it? How, how are you going to handle all those teams playing at the same time? Well, Helen, it's, it's very hard and challenging. That's what I'm like wrecking my brain out on right now. Like my plan was more about the return and testing. And so now I'm on the like staffing piece, but that was the biggest thing I was concerned about even when they released about the postponement is because a at a lot of schools that look like us um, at the FCS historically black you know limited resource 
institutions, we're already limited in our staffing. Yeah. Um, and then to take it on a step further, I'm going on maternity leave. I have my SWA who's going to be going on maternity leave. So we're already like down two. You guys needed to plan that better. I, it, it COVID. COVID was no final four. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just, no, no, in all seriousness, um, we have been looking at outsourcing okay. for staffing. Um, you know, I don't want to leave my folks overwhelmed. And I tell them, even though I'm on maternity leave, obviously my deputy athletic director knows, my president knows that they can reach me. Um, but I don't want it to be something where they feel overwhelmed. Um, we had to divide our sports up differently. Um, I have sport administrators. So some of my directors, I did have to elevate them to sport administrators for this um, for this semester coming up or for this academic year, just because I knew that, you know, I'm going to be out and I normally take all of the revenue sports. Um, I think my, my SWA has women's basketball, but, um, you know, it was, it's been challenging um, from a sports medicine department. Um, mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to hire up in sports medicine um, right yeah. now. Um, you know, I only have three full time people. I'm bringing two more on. I actually just signed the paperwork for another one to start November 1st. Um, but we were able to through a partnership, we established um, work with the company who was going to provide us with two full time positions as well as come in and conduct a clinic on our campus. So that's going to be helpful for us as we go into the next academic year or the next semester. Um, but it's challenging. Um, I tell my coaches that, hey, you guys are going to have to be flexible where it's hard for us because I try to be at everything. Um, yeah. You know, it's not just about my revenue sports. I'll go to tennis. I'll be at softball and baseball, soccer. But everything's going to be playing at the same time. So they may not see our faces as much or as long as they would like to at their events, but they have to understand that we are going to be spread extremely thin. Um, my uh, my um, sports information staff, that's another unit that's, you know, they're extremely thin now because they're going to have to cover, you know, so many sports. We're overlapping so much. So we just released, uh, well, not we, the conference just released our soccer and our volleyball schedule. So that's kind of helping kind of mm -hmm. see how things fall in line with football playing um, because football was released earlier. We already knew about men's and women's basketball um, bowling. We only have really one home bowling match and we ended up canceling that just because it's normally in November and things are still shaky with the pandemic. So um, it's really that overlap with your winter sports and then your spring kind of starting up with baseball, softball, but now your fall sports starting in this, January, February, March. It's crazy, isn't it? April. Yeah. So um my daughter just said May, July over here. I'm sorry. Um Tell Harper us say hello. Miss <laughs> Helen said hello, Harper. She said hi. <laughs> but um a future athletic director, folks. I'm just gonna let you uh, know. Yes, a future AD. But um, no, it's we're gonna figure it out. I tell people, you know. <laughs> We're not, we're not going to get overwhelmed. Um, you know, we don't make excuses. We're going to come up with the solutions to get it done. And um, it's going to be hard, but my staff is great. We, I just want them to know that, hey, if we have to go outsource some stuff. And that's why fundraising is big, because mm -hmm. our budget did not increase. But luckily, through this pandemic, we have been blessed mm -hmm. um, where we have been able to raise the most money that we have since I've been there. And so we wow. have a 
Yeah, and so um, if we have to outsource people or bring in some folks to assist us from a game day standpoint, we'll be able to do that. And then our university supports us as well. Um, you know, for football, we used um, the past two years, we used the outside event management crew um, to help us, uh, Bruno event team. They, they've helped us um, from a staffing standpoint. So our president understands um, we're not going to ever leave. I will never leave my staff high and dry, but it is going to be a task. I know we're going to probably have a lot more gray hairs um, coming through when we see us in uh, the summer, but um, we're going to get through it. Um, we, we're definitely going to get through it. It's just right now really looking at the staffing piece and the traveling piece. Um, and our conference did yeah. a good job of trying to make it where we had flexibility with football. So, you know, normally for football, we play on Saturdays. They gave us the option to be able to play Thursday, Friday or Saturday to kind of like give us some, a relief that not everybody is playing on Saturday. Mm. Um, so that, that's, that's going to help some too. And then just shorten seasons as well. So we're not playing, excuse me, a full soccer season or a full volleyball season. It's been condensed. Same with football. Sign of a great leader. I don't have all the answers, but I know we're going to get it done. People we're going to figure it out. <laughs> Do you want more nuggets? Head over to my Facebook group, a coach for the coach where we share helpful tips to take your coaching career to the next level. See you next week. Same time, same place.